0: Hey everyone, you're listening to the MLEPC podcast. Thank you for joining us. The podcast features every previous Sunday sermon and plenty of other cool content like interviews and miniseries. Please remember to share our content and subscribe to our channel so you can stay up to date with everything that we create. You can find out more about what's happening at the church by visiting our website at mlepc.org or checking us out on our social media. Once again, we thank you for tuning in to the Emily PC podcast, and we hope to see you at an event soon. Thanks, Aiden. He's, Aiden is one of our interns this summer working with the youth, and it's great to, to have him helping us out. We're going to give our, our interns a lot of different opportunities to participate in worship, and we're really grateful for the service that they're giving us. As we continue our sermon series, we just started last week on soul care. For those of you who missed last week, we're, we're looking at Jesus as our, our model, as our example for how to live and how to draw closer to the Father. Um, he said, the, the, the guy that is leading this in, in the right now media um, setting, Jason Perkins, he said, it's like God is, uh, Jesus is, is the master and we are the apprentice. So he's inviting us to apprentice to Jesus about this. And this week we're talking about, if you haven't caught the theme yet in the the music, um, how to be still, how to be quiet, seek solitude with the Lord. Um, One of the most powerful passages about that quiet, that still small voice, of course, is from uh, the story of Elijah. Elijah has just had that triumphal, incredible moment where, where the God poured down fire and ate up the, 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 the altar, <laughs> like not just the sacrifice, but the whole altar um, against the prophets of Baal who were unable to see their God do anything. And in the midst of this triumph, then Elijah has his biggest crash. So this is um, 1 Kings 19, starting with verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and now he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too." And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Silence and solitude is hard. It is something I've struggled with all of my life, but I took great comfort in a story that uh, my former boss in World Vision told me. Um, there, there's a, a writer named Henry Nouwen. Some of you may have read his Wounded Healer book, some other books. He's probably one of the most powerful modern writers on what it's like to seek God in contemplative prayer and silence and solitude. He, he seems like he knows what he's doing, and every time you read him, you're like, wow, I'll never get there. But a friend of mine, my boss from World Vision, said that uh, he he worked for a senator and and Nowen would use the senator's office as his home base whenever he was in in Washington. And he said Nowen would walk in. You know, you would think somebody would walk in like, all is well. (laughs) But instead, Nowen would walk, walk in in just a, whoops, excuse me, I just knocked over my coffee. In my family, we say, Well, can't fall any farther. <laughs> so now, like, it's ironic that I just did that. now and he, no one would walk over walk in the room and knock over coffee and knock over interns and plants, and he would just kind of be a mess. His hair would be everywhere. Uh, and and my friend Tom would, would say, Peace, brother, peace. And it made me feel so much better that this person who could write such beautiful words about Uh, the power of the Holy Spirit and meeting Jesus in quiet and solitude. For him, it was a struggle all of his life. Maybe that's one reason why he could write about it so well. He could explain it to people uh, because he knew what it was like to to have to, to work at it. People who just naturally do it don't know how to explain it very well because it's never been a struggle for them. They don't necessarily know how to teach it. Nowen was struggling with that silence, with that quiet, just like Elijah did. We see Elijah is is a mess, but God still met him. God still spoke to him in that quiet voice, that still, small voice. And in the midst of all of this, we too can learn from Elijah, and we can learn from Jesus. Elijah is sort of a prototype of Jesus, Jesus did many of the same things that Elijah did, but far greater. And Jesus is our master in this process to learn what it's like to seek the face of God. The, Jason Perkins says in his, uh, in his video this week, he says, if you want to live the lessons that Jesus taught, you have to adopt the lifestyle that Jesus lives. So we look at the lifestyle that Jesus had. You see him going to that lonely place, that solitary place, over and over in his ministry to be able to draw the the hope and the strength from God, from, from the Father. Every single time he went away, he could not have done his amazing ministry without that. How do we emulate that? We're going to be talking about that today, lessons we can learn from Elijah, lessons we can learn from Jesus. Knowing that this is not about a guilt trip, you should be doing this. It's about an invitation. That God wants to spend time with you. God wants to speak to you, not in the whirlwind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in a still, small voice. God is saying, come, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So let's look at Elijah. He has just come off of one of the greatest triumphs in the Old Testament. Again, 700 prophets of Baal were gathered, and he's basically having a, a, a competition between their God and, and the God of Israel. And they pray, and they pray, and they pray all day, and nothing happens. He, he's like, well, why don't you shout louder that maybe, maybe your God is asleep and after a long day, nothing happens. Their sacrifice never catches fire. So Elijah then just kneels down. and you know, First, he, he like covers his altar with water. And then he kneels down and he prays. And God sends great fire. And, and consumes not only the, the altar, but all of the water and the other altar as well. And he has this huge triumph showing that the God of Israel is the one true God, not the God uh, of Baal. And Elijah thought, awesome, this is going to be the start of a huge revival in Israel. This is going to be the beginning of a transformation of the people. They will no longer seek after foreign gods, but they will return to the, pro- to the promises of, of God, the God of Israel, of Yahweh. But when he hears... That that is not what happened. He he starts to despair. Ahab, who should have, the king of of Israel should have been able to turn to the Lord. Instead, he turns to his wife, who has been supporting the prophets of Baal all along. And despite the evidence, she still hates Elijah, and she hates the God of Israel. So she sends this message, you are going to die just like you just killed the prophets. Now, Elijah crumbles. Here he's had this highest high, and yet he, he just crumbles in the face of, the, of this opposition. Charles Spurgeon says, Elijah failed at the very point at which he was strongest, and that is where most men fail. Isn't that the truth? We have this highest high, we think we're doing great, but all of a sudden something comes in to knock our feet out from under us. But it's amazing that that's exactly where God met him. His response to this crumbling was to run away. He just wanted to die. He's like, I've had enough. There have been so many times in the last few years that all of us, I think, have come to that moment. I've had enough. When people ask me, you know, do you think these are signs of the end times? My response is, I hope so. You know, sometimes you just want relief from this very, very broken world. Elijah is is saying, I'm done. I can't do anymore. And and, and God's response wasn't, you're an idiot. I'm going to move on to another prophet because obviously you can't handle this. That was not God's response. What did God do to this self-pitying, crumbling prophet who has just given up? First of all, he lets him sleep. (laughs) You need a nap. It's like a toddler. Honey, you need a nap. (laughs) No, I don't. And then he wakes him up with an angel who has prepared food for him. Then he lets him sleep again. There are some times in our lives when we are so broken and despairing and depressed. And one of the first things we need is physical care, physical tending. Maybe you need a nap. Bob Jameson told the story last time about the silent retreat that he went on, and and he said, you know, what he found he was doing half the time was just sleeping. Somebody asked one of the popes one time, you know, every time I go to pray, I I seem to like drift off to sleep, and the pope said, well, maybe you need a nap. (laughs) You know, it's okay to sleep. It's okay to rest. God used that time, that that rest time, to prepare Elijah for a powerful encounter with God. So, So God, in this moment, God is pursuing him. And God wants to set apart a time and a space to meet with Elijah in a very sacred, special place. Was another name for Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was where Moses met the Lord. He hid in a cave as the Lord passed by. So you see this this pattern repeating again with Elijah. Elijah has seen the fire of God pour out. He's seen a huge storm come because after a three-year drought, he prayed for rain and this huge storm came. Now God repeats those things. He, he has the whirlwind. He has the, the, an earthquake. He has a fire. But God is trying to show Elijah that it's, he is so much bigger than all of these things, all of these tangible things. God wants Elijah to hear his heart. It's not in the whirlwind. It's not in the fire. It's not in the earthquake. It's in the still, small voice. And something deep, deep in Elijah's heart hears that. And he recognizes that that is the voice of God, the still small voice. That is what he has been longing for and hoping for to see God at work. The still small voice invites Elijah in, and God says, What are you doing here, Elijah? What do you need? What, what's your heart longing for? Elijah's still caught up in his self-pity. He's still caught up in this. But God leaves room for the lament. Have you ever had one of those moments where you finally have a moment to yourself and all of a sudden you just hit, get hit by a wave of sadness, of grief, of, uh, of lament, of regret? That's what happened to Elijah here. His first response to the Lord wasn't, Whoa, God, you're awesome. (laughs) His first response was lament. God, look, everything has happened. Your people have turned away from you. There is nobody left. Elijah knew, Obadiah had told Elijah uh, a few chapters earlier that there were still prophets in Israel that he was hiding. Elijah knew that he was not alone, but in that moment, I am all alone, felt like the most true thing he could say. And there are moments like that for all of us. I am all alone. I have nothing left. Take me now. God is is meeting him and giving him space for lament. In the solitude moment, God isn't saying, get it together, Elijah. He's saying, Elijah, give me your heart. Show me what your heart is. And in the midst of that lament, God promises Elijah a new hope and a new calling. He tells them he won't have to be alone anymore. He will have an apprentice named Elisha. He tells them he has all of these other prophets in line already that worship the Lord. He tells them all is not lost. I have plans for you. In the midst of that silence, God meets Elijah there, and he brings them into a place of healing and restoration. With Jesus Christ, we see this counterpoint to Elijah. Jesus, everybody was still out to kill him. Jesus went into the wilderness. But his attitude was very different from Elijah. He went to the wilderness, yes, to be tempted at the beginning of his ministry. But over and over, he went to the wilderness to a lonely place, a solitary place, to commune with the Father. He knew that that is where his strength lied. Elijah thought his strength was gone under a broom bush. But Jesus knew his strength would be revived every single time he met with the Father. Elijah had had this huge triumph in front of the prophets of Baal. And he thought that that was the pinnacle of his ministry. Jesus had triumph after triumph, miracle after miracle. But that was not where he gained his strength. He gained his strength. From, from, from communing with the Father. Think about how many times he did that. There, there's actually a place in, um, by the Sea of Galilee near the Mount of, of Beatitudes. Larry Selig, a former pastor here, was telling me the story about finding the place that's, that's called the, the lonely place, the solitary place. Eremos is the, the word in Greek. There's it's a little grotto, a little cave um, that they believe uh, it dates back, to, like, early attestations in, in, like, 100 A.D., saying that this is the place where Jesus would come to pray. It's above, it's still seeing all of Galilee, but it's, it's, it's a place where Jesus could, could come and be quiet and commune with the Father. Even to the end of his life, even that last night, the last thing that he does before he's betrayed— is to seek the Lord in His solitude, to seek the Lord, and not to say, "God, I don't want," like not to say, "God, I want to die." He says, "The Lord, I don't want to die, but Your will be done." What a contrast with Elijah! Your will be done. In the midst of that solitude, angels came to minister to him, like they had come to minister to Elijah, to help him gain strength to face what he was about to face. That is the invitation that Jesus gave to his disciples, come, be with me, sit up with me for a little while, be silent in solitude with me to pray. The disciples, being very human, fell asleep. But God knew that they would learn eventually that that that, that solitude and that prayer was the place where they would gain their most strength. It is easy to look at Jesus and see, well, you know, of course he's able to do that. You know, he's kind of God. But it's very, very hard for us as humans to emulate that, to, to, to meet with God in that silence. In the midst of all the noise that we have, in the midst of the, the whirlwind and the earthquakes and the fires, literally fires that are filling our air this week, it's hard to stop and to, to hear God's still small voice. Uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, you may have heard of him as a very famous theologian in the last uh, hundred years. He said, "If you if you have never had difficulty in prayer, it is absolutely certain that you have never prayed." <laughs> Isn't that great? If you've never had difficulty in prayer, I am sure you have never prayed. Difficulty in prayer comes with the desire to pray. For one thing, the enemy is always trying to distract us. And our minds, oh, man, how often have you started to pray and then at the same time started your to-do list? Like, you know, God, Father, you are wonderful. Thank you for who you are. I need toilet paper. I need milk. <laughs> it is so easy to get distracted. We spent uh, a session on Tuesday night. I had them reflect and meditate on Psalm 46. And I'm like, okay, guys, I'm going to give you seven minutes to reflect on this. Do you know how many times I checked my watch during those seven minutes? <laughs> like, I even set an alarm on my watch, but I had to keep making sure the time was, was passing. And, and all of us, you could t- feel like all of us were like fidgeting during that time. It is hard to do even seven minutes. It's funny how Jesus would spend all night in solitude with the Father. But here we struggle with just just a few moments. But in those few moments when we are able to stop and to listen, it reorients our whole life. Suddenly we realize that we are not the ones in control. There's a newsflash for you. We are not the ones who can, can be in charge of everything. God is the one who is in charge. It is a moment to say, Lord, I let go of control. I trust what you are doing. I trust who you are. I trust that your will is good. It is a chance to to realize what it is that we have deep in our hearts, even if it's anger or lament or despair, to be able to lay that out before the Lord, knowing that he is not going to condemn us any more than he condemned Elijah. He is going to meet us there and he's going to speak to us in a still, small voice. Sometimes that still, small voice is just a sense of God's presence with you. It's just a sense of him saying you are my dearly beloved child. Sometimes it is silence and silence and silence. And those days are very hard. When you, when you try and you try, oh, it's what I do a lot. I'm like striving to have a close encounter with the Lord. And, and, and it's like the more I strive, the further away I am from that peace. It's laying even our experience down, even our desire for the outcome of our time of silence. Lord, use this time as you will, not as I will. Jason Perkins talks about the things that we need to have in place in order to be able to, to work on the practice uh, of seeking the Lord in silence and solitude. It is hard. He's, he said three things that we need. We need a, heart, a head change, a heart change, and a life change. The head change seems to me to be the easiest one. It's like, okay, I get it. Yes, solitude is a very good thing. Yes, I should do that. But the heart change comes from letting go of the sense that it is a guilt trip, like, oh, my gosh, I failed again, to realizing that solitude is a grace. He he says it is a chance to feel grateful that with Jesus' help, it's possible to adopt rhythms of quiet in a noisy world. It's grace. It's not you should do this. It's God saying, come, come. Come, spend a few moments with me, and I will give you rest. As we, as we have that head change, as we then have a heart change, a longing, it, it, you might not want to, but you want to want to. We start to have that heart change. We also need to put in place what he calls life change. He says the three pieces that we need to have are a cue, a routine, um, and a reward. The cue is, is saying, okay, the first thing I'm going to get up in the morning, this is what I'm going to do. Or maybe it's a cue, like after I get out of work, before I drive home, I'm going to sit in the car and have a minute of silence with God. Whatever your cue is, think about a time in the day that, that is a time that you can, can seek the Lord, even for 30 seconds, I promise. He said, do not start with your goal of two hours. <laughs> Don't even start with five minutes. Start with 30 seconds. Start with two minutes. It, it's a muscle that you have to build up to. So the, the, you start with a cue. Then you start with a routine, trying to, to make that part of your daily life, starting to to see uh, how that can affect you. I, I've been going to a, a spiritual director, somebody who can, like, counsel you in, in how to draw closer to the Lord. And she stopped me, and she's like, you need more silence in your life. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> because it's so easy even i live alone i have a lot of solitude but i fill it with noise how easy is it to fill that with noise but ha- having a routine where that starts to become part of your your habits that's when it changes and the reward the reward is the grace the reward is the relationship he perkins says this is not about perfection it's about god's presence we are worshiping the presence of Jesus, not the practice of silence. The point is not to check the boxes, I spent two minutes with God every day. The point is to be able to enjoy time with the Lord. I, I want to give special dispensation to one group. I mean, most of us can find a couple of minutes in our day that that we can set aside There's one group that I always have special mercy for, and that is parents of very small children. God bless you. (laughs) It is really hard to, in the midst of, you know, all of the the midnight feedings and the, the poopy diapers and everything else that's going on, it is hard for parents of very small children. But God can even meet you there. I have this beautiful book that I love. It's called Every Moment Holy and it's got all of these quirky prayers in it, like, one of my favorites is when you're tempted to buy the latest technology. <laughs> there, are, there are all these different things on the, uh, on the eve of a birthday, uh, uh, prayers during a move. But it specifically has two different prayers in it that are for parents when they're changing a poopy diaper. <laughs> You don't think of that as a very prayerful moment, but this, this prayer helps you realize that there can be moments of solitude even in the midst of, of, of some of the hard things you have to do in life. I have to read this prayer for you because it, it's not just a prayer for this. It's a, it's a way that we can look at our lives and seek prayer even in the middle of hard times. Ah, Lord, what a mess we sometimes make of our lives. What a tragic comedy. It is even our most sincere attempt to merit righteousness on our own. We are no more able to render ourselves holy than is this infant to keep itself unsoiled. I am as dependent upon your grace and your own righteousness, O Christ, to justify and make me clean as this little one is dependent upon me to wash the residue of filth from its skin wrapping it again in soft and freshly laundered garments. Let me not be frustrated by the constant repetition of this necessary act on behalf of a child. Rather, let the daily doing of this be a reminder to me of the constant cleansing and covering of my own sin that I, helpless as this babe and more often in need, enjoy in the active mercies of Christ. God can meet you in solitude, in the middle of of the craziest noise, in the middle of a whirlwind, in the middle of an earthquake or a fire. God longs to spend these sacred moments with you. And he's inviting you to come in. He is the one that said in Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus calls us, come, spend time with me, and find my love and my grace for you. Let's pray together. Holy God, we do thank you, and we praise you for your incredible invitation You are not just a God up there. You are a God who came to earth to to be able to interact with human beings like us, to breathe our air, to walk our dirt, and to invite us into relationship with God. It is through your death and resurrection that you made it possible for that wall to be torn down between us and God so that we once again can walk with him and talk with him. Lord, forgive us for all the ways that we have placed a wall in between you and me and ourselves. All the ways we have put noise in the place of that still, small voice. All the ways that we have, have tried to stay busy so that we don't have to pay attention to the hurt and pain in our own hearts. Lord God, you are able to, to sweep away the earthquake and the whirlwind and the fire. To care for our souls through that still small voice. Lord, give us ears to hear, a heart that understands. Lord, draw us to you. Help us to want to want to spend time with you and not just just feel like it's impossible. Help us overcome those barriers to even spend a few moments close to you in your presence. Fill us even now, Holy Spirit, with your power. Speak your stillness, your quietness into broken and weary hearts. Help us to rest. You promise that you will restore our souls. We pray this over every single person here, every person watching us online. Restore our souls so that we may walk closely with you. Lord God, we pray for restoration, not just for us, but for our our city, for the churches in the city, for the lost people who long to to have some kind of fulfillment. Lord, we know that you are are the solution. You are the redeemer. You are the one who can restore. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on this whole region. Awaken us to your power and your love and your grace. Lord God, we pray as we look at Independence Day, we pray for your restoration of our country. You say that those who seek you who humble themselves and, and turn from their wicked ways and seek your face. For, this, for us, we will, you will restore our nation. Lord, we, we humbly come to you. We ask your forgiveness for all the ways that we have sinned against you, both ourselves and our forebears. And we ask you to heal our nation. Lord, restore relationships between brothers and sisters, and between parents and kids, between neighbors, between classes and races, and, and all kinds of different backgrounds. Lord, help us to be one in you, that every tribe and tongue and nation would be able to praise you. You, is the one who is holy, holy, holy our Lord God Almighty. Lord God, we, we thank you that you have called us your dearly beloved children and we ask that you would open our ears to hear your love for us as we gather before you and we pray as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, glory forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please rise now as we affirm our faith in Christ through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Carolyn. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can check out our website at mlepc.org and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a podcast. Have a blessed day.